Well, happy new year, Biltmore Church. How's everybody doing today? We good? All right, I, I don't know how that went online or at a Brevard campus, but it didn't go great here at Arden. We're gonna try that again. Today's a new day, new year. 2021 just went boosh, down it goes, right? 2022 is here. Happy new year, everybody. How we doing? There we go. That is more like it. I, um, my name is Jason Gast, and I have the honor uh, and privilege of opening up God's Word uh, with you today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. You can turn it on as well, and in just a few minutes, uh, it will also be up on your screen. Um, Christmas break was awesome for my family. Uh, I know a lot of you guys uh, have the mindset that you don't travel. Family travels to you. Well, uh, my family traveled. We traveled a lot. I'm gonna tell you our travels this past week, okay? First of all, I wrote this sermon in the back of a Ford Expedition third row with my AirPods in with three kids in the vehicle because that's just life, okay? We got up Christmas Day, said, hey, let's drive to the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina, where we uh, planted down for the night and uh, had Christmas with my family, saw some friends, got up the next day and say, let's go see the other side of the family. So we drove to Charlotte. So uh, loaded the kids up, went to Charlotte and uh, had Christmas with my wife's side of the family, dropped the kids off with the grandparents. They then drove to the Outer Banks. They literally drove right back past where they came from and they let us know about it. They drove to Manio, North Carolina, where my wife and I decided we'd go on vacation uh, without kids. Can I get an amen somebody? Okay, that's like, that's a great way to end 2021 and start 2022. So we went to Charleston, but then we realized we also had to pick our children up from the Outer Banks of North Carolina. So we drove from Charleston to Manio. And then from Manio, we spent a couple days and decided, you know what, it's probably time we need to go home. Let's haul literally our tails all the way back across this great state. So literally from the furthest end of the state to the other end of the state, we drove yesterday and I am jacked up on caffeine and ready to go. Ah, it's a new day, it's a good day. Um, hey, listen, before we jump in the text, uh, two really quick things for you, okay? You heard uh, Victor mention just a minute ago uh, that starting next week, we are beginning a brand new series. Pastor Bruce is gonna be walking us through uh, the book of Song of Solomon, and he's gonna be talking about relationships. Uh, it's important for you, it's important for me, it's important for us, no matter what stage of life you are in, whether you are single, whether you are single again, whether you have, uh, whether you have a spouse or whether uh, you are with or whether you, in the, you are in the mix of it right now, the thick of it right now, raising kids, we really do believe that God has something in store for every single one of you uh, over the next several weeks, starting next week. So I hope that you would um, take that opportunity to just dive in and say, hey, we're gonna commit to being here for the first five or six weeks at minimum, not missing anything, because I wanna dive into what God has for me through the book of Song of Solomon, okay? The second thing is this. Uh, if you have been walking through 2021 and uh, you've been walking through the Christian life without other brothers and sisters in Christ around you, I wanna encourage you to maybe make your 2022 resolution or your commitment for this year to jump in a connect group, okay? To jump in with a connect group. That is the greatest place for you to do life 
with other believers. It's set up in such a way so you gather together, whether it's on campus, in a home, doesn't matter where it's happening, okay? Our hope is that you would gather with other believers. They would spur you on in Christ. And in, in, in there, we'll pray together. We'll, we'll hear about life together. We'll spur each other on. And we're, we'll, we'll study the Bible together, okay? Guys, if, if you're not in Connect Group, who's gonna put the stud in Bible study, okay? It's a dad joke right there. You got it right there. Okay, all right. First Peter chapter five is where we're gonna be today. And um, this morning, as, uh, as I was preparing this message, I thought to myself, man, I just don't wanna jump in to the same old, same old New Year's sermon, right? You know, hey, you guys are making great goals. You should be resolved to these five or six things because your New Year's resolutions are going down the toilet anyway in less than three weeks, right? No one, like no one wants to hear that again and again and again. You start the new year off with a lot of hope, right? We start the new year off with a lot of hope and we wanna press in. Today, rather than talking about the five key steps, what it takes to see those resolutions come into fruition when December rolls around, I wanna talk about what it looks like for us as believers to live in between, to live in between. Now, what I mean by that is this. We just came off of a season in the church calendar called the Advent season, right? The Advent season. The Advent season is simply this. It is posturing your life in such a way during a period of time where you are remembering that Christ has come. That's the first advent, right? The one that the, one that the Old Testament prof, prophets had prophesied about, the one that Israel had put their hope in, the one that, that the people of God had longed for and waited for. During the advent season, we remember the first advent that Jesus has come, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, here's the thing. The first advent puts in you this sense of longing. It puts in me this sense of anticipation. Why? Because the first advent was the very thing that the people needed for eternal hope. They needed someone to mark them for good. The first advent, listen, the first advent would be when God came and he would relieve us fully if we put our full hope in him of the bondage of sin. And as a follower of Christ, you are marked by that first advent. But here's what I know. The first advent is not the only advent. You see, the first advent that Christ came is what marks us, but there's another defining mark the second advent. You know what the second advent is, right? That God came once and that one day he will come again. That's the hope of the believer. That's the hope of the Christian, that God came and that you are marked by his salvation. You are marked by his redemption and that your hope is now put in that God will come again one day and he will, the second advent says, put an end to all pain and suffering. You see, the first advent put an end to the bondage of sin. The second advent puts an end to pain and suffering. But the question that every Christian, every follower of Jesus has to wrestle with is how do I live in between? How do I live in a world marked by the gospel, 
identified by Christ, that I am now in Christ, I am a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin has been removed, I've been given new life in Christ. But yet, I still experience pain and suffering as I walk in this world. How do I reconcile those two Things. How do I live as a Christian? How do I posture myself upright in such a way that I live with my eyes fixed on the hope that is to come because I've already been marked by the hope that has already come? When you come to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, you see that the Christians, the followers of Christ, are asking that same question. You see, in 1 Peter, the, the writer of 1 Peter, Peter, he writes to the followers of Jesus and he refers to them as exiles. In fact, a lot of scholars tell you that you can look at the book of 1 Peter and you can look at it and see it as a letter of resurrection. It's a reminder that as you walk this world that you have a great hope in the midst of chaos. The Christians in 1 Peter are scattered all throughout Asia Minor. Why? because they are enduring a ton of suffering, a ton of opposition. The pressure cooker, the knob on the pressure cooker has been turned up and they need a reminder that what they are experiencing in between is not final. That there is a hope that is still coming. And he reminds the believers that there's something better beyond what they're currently experiencing. Sound familiar? Now, I think, to be fair, our, our situation, our suffering, our pain as Western Christians can't really be compared to the pain and persecution that the early church was experiencing in 1 Peter. But if I can be brutally honest, I do think it's fair to say that the climate that we have been living in has really turned that pressure cooker up. There's been a lot of things in our lives over the last 12 months where that knob has been turned and it is being, it's, it's being really, really hard to set our eyes on a hope that is to come knowing with the chaos that surrounds us every single day. Now, over the last 48 hours, what I did was I did a quick social media search of you. I went on your Facebook pages. I got inside the Biltmore Church family. I got inside the Biltmore Church pages and I looked at what you guys put up on your social media pages at the end of 2021. Here are some of the things that I collected from your social media pages about 2021. Some of you lost jobs. Some of you, you, you work in healthcare or education and you could not anticipate the amount of stress and strain that was brought about by just the everyday rhythms of life in 2021. Some of you lost somebody close to you. Many of you lost loved ones. Some of you wrecked vehicles. <laughs> Some of you lost your home to a once in a generation type flood. Everything gone in the blink of an eye. We've heard those stories over the last month, have we not? It's been a tough year. Some of you had your homes broken into. Some of your best friends moved away. Some of y'all got a new boss that you were not thrilled about. 
Some of you were overwhelmed by the list of influencers in our culture that passed away. Okay, listen to this list. Listen to the list of people that died in 2021, okay? I'm gonna forget your favorite person and I'm sorry, but here's some of the ones that I just wrote down. Colin Powell, Larry King, Prince Philip, on the heels of Crown coming out years ago, Prince Philip died. Bob Dole, John Madden, John Madden died. Marty Schottenheimer, Bobby Bowden, the legendary coach at Florida State, John Chaney, Tommy Lasorda, DMX, Dustin Diamond, y'all screech from Saved by the Bell died. Screech, that's a tough year, man. That's a tough year. Some of you, you don't even know how to act in public. You're not sure what you should do. Should you walk into somewhere with a mask on? Should you walk into somewhere without a mask on? If you walk into there and you see somebody without that, are you gonna yell at them? Are you gonna talk to them? Are you gonna say something? You work behind a register. You work at a store. You're not sure if you should communicate something to somebody else. There are things in your life, literally, that the pressure cooker has been turned up and you did not foresee it coming. I mean, think about it. You cough in public today, what happens? Some of y'all already experienced it today, all right? You've already, you coughed and you're like, yo. You're not sure what to do. The world has literally been flipped on its head. Just like the believers in 1 Peter, we all need reminders that when the dial gets turned up, that there's something better out there that there's a hope beyond the clouds. You ever been in an airplane taking off at an airport and you're like, surely we're not gonna take off today. There's thunderstorms everywhere, right? You're like, I don't feel safe with this. This doesn't seem right. You're kind of uneasy already about flying. And then you take off and it's like crazy storms everywhere. And you take off and you are going through the thick of it, right? And the, the plane is like bouncing. Anybody ever been there, right? And then all of a sudden you get to about 20,000 feet and the whole thing changes. Perspective changed. Now, all of a sudden, all you see is the clouds below you, but you see a hope ahead of you. That's what 1 Peter is. 1 Peter is bringing your head up. It's allowing you to see the hope that is found in the beauty of the gospel. And Peter says it this way. He says, in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the world where the dial has been turned up, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything about you. It changes everything about where you set your hope. It changes everything about where you look for your hope. Peter tells them, he says, listen, the, the resurrection literally changes the way all throughout the book. He says, the resurrection changes the way that you view your suffering. He says, it changes the way that your status before God is seen. He said, it changes the way that you relate to other people. It changes even, he says in 1 Peter chapter three, it says, it even changes the way that you look at yourself in the mirror. You've been there before? I'm starting to feel it a little bit, okay, in my 40s now. Sounds weird to say, but you look in the mirror and you're like, man, I ain't as good as I once was, right? Things, uh, you know, Peter is reminding the, the believers in 1 Peter chapter three that even, I listen, you have a resurrection beauty growing inside of you. And that's not like, the, oh, you know, she's pretty on the inside. That's like there is a hope, a hope that's growing within you. First Peter chapter one, verse three, he says this, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Christian, you are marked by hope. 
It's tatted on your heart. It's tatted on your forehead. It's tattooed all over your life. Even when you can't see it, you are marked by hope. So how do we live in the world in between marked by hope with the reality of the suffering around us? First Peter chapter five or six through 11 will be on the screen. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone whom he can devour. Resist him, verse nine, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the entire world. You are not alone in your pain, he says. Verse 10 Then the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. And after you have suffered a little while, to him be dominion forever. Amen. What Peter does in this passage is he tells the believers, he says, listen, you're gonna, you're marked by hope. There's a hope that's still coming but how do you posture yourself in the world surrounded by pain and suffering? Three postures that Peter tells the believers. I want you to write these down. Number one, the gospel gives us a posture of humility. The gospel postures us with humility. Look back at what he says. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Now let me ask you a question. Why would Peter need to remind the believers who are facing pain and suffering to humble themselves under God's mighty right hand. I believe it's because when chaos and pain hit, the natural proclivity of the human heart is to turn inward, not upward. You turn inward on ourself. We look inside. We look for self-sufficiency. We don't cast all of our cares upon the heart of God because we think he cares for us. We turn inward and try to be self-sufficient in and of ourselves. And what he says to the believer is, oh, listen, though the world may be falling apart, you have a God that still reigns and you are still under his hand. You are marked by his redemption and you need to humble yourselves under this suffering that is not hidden by the hand, the heart, and the eye of God. Isaiah chapter 66, this won't be on your screen. Isaiah chapter 66, verse one and two says this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. You guys get that? Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That means that like God is kicked back with his feet, his shoes off and his feet kicked up on earth. That's how big he is. Nothing goes unseen under his supervision. It's all under his dominion. It's all under his reign. He says, what is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this, listen, no matter what you try to build, it's all just minuscule in the eyes of God. What is God after? Says this in Isaiah. He says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God is after a people 
that posture themselves in every season of life with humility. Humility, Charles Spurgeon says, is it's the right estimation of oneself. It's seeing yourself in the mirror rightly. And humility grows in a soil. And the soil that humility grows in is the soil of utter dependency. You see, pride, on the other hand, it's antithesis, it's, it's enemy. Pride grows in the soil of self-sufficiency, but humility grows in the soil of utter dependency. Watch this, okay? If you, if you, if you think about it like a, the image I would give you is like that like a tree or a plant, okay? The roots, listen, the roots of humility is dependency, but the fruit of humility is gentleness. It's gentleness. It's, it's the receiving of God's grace towards you. God, I, I receive what you have, and as you have been to me, so now I will be to others around me. I will posture myself in such a way to I fall at your feet rather than buck up against it. God reminds his people that he is after a people who posture themselves in humility, that I am in desperate need of something or someone outside of myself. Is that not the gospel? That you could not do for yourself what needed to be done, so God did for you what you could not do. Jesus says it this way in the New Testament. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's a poverty of soul. Literally, the imagery that he gives you when he says that is that you are literally posturing yourself like that of a beggar. I need, God, all of the things that you can give me. I am fully dependent and reliant on your grace, on your sufficiency, on your peace, on your redemption. I take it and I receive it. And just as I receive it, now I give it freely. Humility is the mark of a follower of Jesus. Pride, however, is the thing that you usually can't see, but everybody else does. You know what I'm talking about? I don't mean to be crass here, okay? But this is the best illustration I can come up with in a vehicle with three kids, okay? It's kind of like, it's kind of like you're at the office or you're at school or you're in the wherever and you're walking around all day and people are giggling at you and you don't know why. And then later on in the day, finally, a friend speaks up and they say, hey man, did you know that you got a little? No, but now it all makes sense, right? That's what pride is. Pride is the thing that everybody else around you can, can see it in you, but rarely can you see it. It's spiritual body odor. It's the thing that, that, that cultivates and illuminates deep in the soil of self-sufficiency. The soil that pride roots itself in, the soil is self-sufficiency. Listen, I don't need, you see the difference there? Humility, I receive. Pride says, I don't need. I don't need. And the root of that, as it expresses itself, as it, as it comes out to other people around you, often makes itself known through arrogance and anger. How do you come off to other people? How do you come off to other people when the world around you starts turning up the heat? You see, God was using this season 
in the people's hearts to chisel, to refine, to help them see even in the midst of walking in between that they have a greater hope if only they would just live lives of humility. But here's the problem, church, here's the problem. If you're anything like me, we wanna be kings of our own world with servants, right? right? That's why I had kids, hey, go pour my coffee. Hey, go do this, hey, go do that, right? It's kind of what you think. But when you read the New Testament, what you see is that God in Philippians 2 took the king and made him a servant. Pride stands in direct opposition of the heart of God. The way of Jesus is the way of a servant. It's the way of humility. It's the way of humbling yourself in every single season. Will you receive it? with grace and humility and gentleness, or will you rebuke up against it and say, not today? You know, um, when my family moved to Western North Carolina, God immediately made my family needy, right? We move here, everything's happening, our house burns down, then all of a sudden people start just kind of chiming in. This church jumped in on our family like in ways I can't even begin to express. They started to jump in and to provide. Hey, let us cook you a meal. Hey, let us give you a place to stay. Hey, let us do this for you. Hey, let us do that for you. And what I realize about myself is this. I don't like to be needy. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I'm good. We're good. It's fine. We're living in a hotel with three kids and a dog. No big deal. Everything's great. Things are fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I don't like to be needy. But the way that God postures the Christian is that you were born to be needy. And that's where the gospel life starts in your heart, that you realize that you needed something outside of yourself. And now for life in every season, you are in utter dependence on Christ and his sufficiency and his grace and his mercy for you as you walk in between. See, pride creeps its ugly head into every facet of our life. It pokes its head up everywhere, right? It's like whack-a-mole. You just gotta keep killing it over and 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 over again. Here, let's do a little exercise actually, okay? We're gonna have a little fun here, okay? No matter where you're at right now, go ahead and pull out your phone, okay? If you got a phone with you, go ahead and pull out your phone. I'm gonna give you about three and a half seconds to do this, okay? Some of you already have it out. Go ahead and pull out your phone and go to your photo file. And I want you to find the most recent photo of you and your family or you with some friends or you with a group of people. Okay, I'm gonna give you eight seconds to get there. Awkward eight seconds, long enough to ride a bull, all right? You getting there? You got it? Say yep, or if you're online, just give a thumbs up. You got it? Okay, now, you got that picture pulled up. How do you determine the worth of that photo? Based on how who looks? You, right? Based on how you look. You look at that picture and everybody else around you looks phenomenal. But if you look off, if you're halfway smirking, if things don't look right, if you look a little chubby, if things just aren't fully there, what do you do with that thing? Delete it, right? Why? Because we are naturally self-centered people. Even pastors deal with this, right? One of my, one of my good friends and mentors, he, he said this. He said, you know, for years that he was praying that God would do a great work in his city. God, would you do a work in this city? Would you rescue? Would you redeem? Would we see our city come to faith in Christ? And he said, and God answered him as clear as day. He said, hey, hey, buddy, listen up. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna answer that prayer, but what if I used another church to do it? 
He said all of a sudden he realized that pride crept its ugly head even into the good prayers that he prayed. God is after a people that will literally posture their lives in such a way to say, I am in absolute and utter dependence on you. Andrew Murray, the South African pastor, said it this way, humility is simply the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Humility is simply the disappearance of self in the vision that God is everything, not my will, but your will be done. Are you posturing yourself in a posture of humility or do you posture yourself the posture of pride? Because no man or woman enters the kingdom of God with their chest poked out in their own goodness. They cling to the work that was done on their behalf. It's a posture of receiving. It's a posture of humility. Number two, the gospel gives us a posture of readiness. The gospel gives us a posture of readiness. Verse eight says this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, before I go any further, I need to be very clear, okay? We have a, we have a real enemy, and he really wants to destroy you. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter six to put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. There is an enemy and he wants you dead. He wants your mind. He wants your heart. He wants the affections of your heart. He wants your family. He wants it all. And he wants you to not even know that he took it. You know, when I'm a, I love World War II history. Love it, love it. There's a, there's a story about the soldiers, the, the first soldiers that stormed the beaches in Normandy. All the different beaches that they had lined up. And it says this, it says, early in the morning of June 6, 1944, over 160,000 Allied troops jumped out of planes or off of ships, landed on the beaches and fields of Normandy, France. By the end of the day, many had lost their lives on those, beach, on those beaches. The invasion was successful and it was the turning point of World War II. Some accounts suggest that nearly 65% of Omaha's 5,000 casualties were lost within the first 15 minutes. It's a lot of death. As the ships came within nine miles of the Normandy beaches, the landing crafts began dispatching infantrymen to their beach targets. Leaders sounded off with one final pep talk over the intercom systems on the ships. Fight to get your troops ashore. Fight to save your ships. And if you got any strength left, fight to save yourself. See, the commanders were not sugarcoating what was going to happen. Death was a likely reality. There was an enemy on the shore and the enemy wanted them dead. These men had trained for the last year, last six months, last two years, knowing the ins and out of everything they could know about their enemy. So when they would go on those shores, they could attack them properly. One of the defining characteristics of these men was an understanding that they knew that their enemy was real, he was brutal, he was cruel, and they would do anything to stop them from winning the war. Peter says this, be sober-minded and be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. 
Resist him standing firm in the faith. The idea, listen, the idea of being sober-minded or being self-controlled is the ability to have sound judgment, to be alert. It's a posture of readiness. It's a posture of readiness. Now, think about it this way, okay? The Gastons, we love to go to the zoo. Anybody in here like to go to the zoo? We like to go to the zoo with the kids. It's great. We're, uh, we love to go to the North Carolina Zoo. I heard there's a great zoo down the mountain in Greenville. I haven't been there yet. But North Carolina Zoo, it's legit, all right? So, you know, we're just strolling around the zoo. Five kids, I mean, five people, three kids, me and Katie. And we're going into the, uh, let's just say we're going into the area that's designated uh, to give you a glimpse at all of the greatest predators in Africa. And so we roll up in there and you got the sea crocs and you got all the really dangerous snakes and you got all the gorillas and you're like looking at them, you're like, oh my gosh, look at those things. And you got the lions and you got all those really, 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 really terrifying animals that could rip your face off in a heartbeat. But you feel no fear because there's a hedge of protection between you, right? And so you just continue about your day buying a $9 box of popcorn and a couple slushies and things are good. But the next time we go, we get there and we're, we're strolling around the zoo and things are great. Then all of a sudden the intercom pops up. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the North Carolina Zoo. We're glad that you're here today. You are here on a very special occasion. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We decided to turn the animals loose. <laughs> we hope that you guys have a phenomenal day. If you need any popcorn, you can find that in section four. Now all of a sudden what happens? You're alert. Why? Because you don't know what's coming up around every corner. You see, many of us are living lives like a normal stroll in the zoo when the reality is, is there's a real enemy around us daily. Peter reminds them, even in your suffering, in your suffering is where you tend to let that guard down the most. He says, in your suffering, stand firm, resist him. What's, what is one of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses against you? Like when we talk about like demons and all that stuff, those, these things are real. Like there, there really is like demon possession. I have exercised the demons. Like there's, those things really happen. But one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to distort truth. Jesus referred to him as the father of what? Lies. An error is just a distorted truth. It's, it's truth out of proportion. Jesus says, the enemy is the father of lies, but he conversely said, you will know me by knowing the truth and the truth will set you free. The way that you stand ready is to eat and to digest and to dig into God's word and you combat the liar with the truth. What lies are you believing today? What lies are you believing? Are you believing the lie that your approval comes from and your worth comes from being overworked and you gotta spend 98 hours in the office this week? Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me and I will give you rest. Are you believing the, the lie because you're not seeing progress in your life and in your walk with Jesus? Paul says in Philippians chapter one, he says, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion even though you had a difficult season. Don't believe the lie. Don't throw in the towel. Are you believing the lie that you are alone and afraid? Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, fear not for I am with you. God has not left you in your pain. He has not left you in your suffering. He walks with you in it. He's already gone before you through it. 
Are you believing the lie that sin defines you? Psalm 103 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so have your transgressions been cast away from you. You are not defined by your sin. You are defined by Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't let the enemy get a foothold believing the lies. Stand ready, stand firm, hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Number three, and I close with this, the gospel gives us a posture of victory. The gospel gives us a posture of victory. Verse 10 says this, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, look at these words, this is so beautiful, will himself do what? Restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. You have been marked by me as you walk with me. Now you walk with me in this world and guess what? You will experience suffering as you live in between, but I am, I am sustaining you. I am upholding you. I am strengthening you every step of the way, even when the clouds dim your view. And guess what, church? He says, that second advent is coming. It's coming. Revelation chapter 21 says this. Pastor Bruce preached on this just a few weeks ago. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them again. He's coming again. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. This is what? This is what the second advent brings. This is beautiful. Don't miss this. He says, and he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. He is coming because of resurrection hope and because he's coming and restoring and renewing, you can keep going. And that truth changes everything, everything. Was your diagnosis bad? The enemy wants you to believe that it's over. Jesus still says the best really is yet to come. Are you in the early stages of recovering from addiction? The enemy wants you to believe that it's over, but Jesus really does say the best is yet to come. Keep going. Are you walking in the valley of the shadow of death? The enemy wants you to believe that it's over, but Jesus says what? The best is yet to come. God in the Old Testament says this, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Christian, keep running the race. Victory is yours in Christ. He's redeeming you, he's restoring you, and he will return it back to the way it was supposed to be. That day is coming. Just as that first day came, you can better believe that that second advent is coming. And because it's coming, you can keep running. What lie are you believing today? Where do you need to cling to truth that's found in the gospel of Christ? Where's pride creeping its ugly head into your life and you need to 
run from it and posture yourself like that of a humility and say, I need only what you can give. Maybe as 2022 starts, you just need to be reminded that the enemy does not win. Father, you're good. Your grace is sufficient. God, I pray that you'd be stirring in the hearts of your people the resounding truth that you have come and you will come again. And hope is ours through Christ and the resurrection. And because of that, we can keep going. Father, in the moments ahead, I pray that your people would respond, whether it's in their seat or the prayer bench is forward or right in front of their computer screen. God, it doesn't matter where it happens, Father. I pray that you would just spur our hearts on to repentance and faith. Help us to believe the gospel again today. God, we love you because you can do what only you can do in our lives. And you did it through Christ at the cross. You gave us hope for life through the resurrection. And so now we walk in that hope, knowing that you will one day make all things new again. In Jesus' name we pray.